My, my heart in this study has been very methodical in the sense of to stretch you in maybe the way we think about revival and not the normal thinking of revival, which is we're having church seven nights a week and people are crowding in and there's no parking and we're here till midnight and people are laid out on the floor that even though I'm not opposed at that, could be a definition of revival. I've really wanted to come in another way to enlighten the conscience of the perception of what we think because my belief, I'm not saying it's right, but it is what I believe at this juncture from my study, that revival is specifically geared to awaken you and I as God's people because we already have His Spirit in us and the challenge is is that once we come into a relationship with Christ, we become all too familiar with Christ, and out of familiarity comes passivity. And out of passivity, the kingdom of our enemy begins to take over. As Christians become introverted rather than extroverted, we become selfish rather than sacrificial. And therefore, I'm reading a book now that talks about the church in Germany and uh, the, the revivals that hit Germany back in the early 1900s, and now what we have today, which is basically uh, a lost church. And the thought is the same thing is beginning to happen to America if we're not careful, if we do not wake up, if we do not ask ourselves, what does the Lord want out of me? And one of the questions that has been posed that I've tried to answer is, will God pour out His Spirit again uh, in this last days? Uh, I kind of quip back that He's already done that, that He's already poured out His Spirit, so His Spirit is here. It's just I need to learn how to get into the flow of that. I need to learn how, as we've been saying, that revival is positioning myself, I would say, under the wisdom of God, and specifically the Holy Spirit, it is to position myself under the flow of of the river of God and to allow His Spirit to use me. So what I want to do tonight is I want to... I want to push that a little further uh, as we're kind of getting the thought together. I want to push it to us as a church and to what we'll do. We'll bring Michael up and worship and we'll pray over the sanctuary because I do believe this. I believe that whatever is happening in our country and in our world, I often see that the greatest move of God is coupled with a group of people who always pray. It rarely just happens happenstance. It happens because God's people press in and God's people seek Him and God's people begin to call out to Him. Phil and I were talking about this the other day. The woman that had the issue of blood was not even on the radar of God. She was not even on Jesus' radar that day. He was on His way to Jairus' house, but her faith reached out and stopped Him and pulled on His power. So I do believe that there is an essence to our faith that can cause God to do things that aren't part of His prophetic line because His people pulled on Him and so God brought His wisdom and power into that moment to do something special, not necessarily catching God by surprise, so to speak, but because He stopped to honor the faith of people that pulled on Him. And so... That's where I believe we play a great role. Let's jump into this thought. Jesus comes in John chapter 8, and in his discussion, he says, Jesus spoke to the people one more 
once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is thinking. It was never assumed, at least in my understanding, reading the Gospels. I don't think it was his wisdom that salvation was to be an introverted thing. Salvation was to be so powerful that when it captured your life, you became the light of the world. When light captured you and you found life, he will say later that you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, and that you're to go into the world and to be the light as Jesus is the light. We, we sing it, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, won't let Satan poof it out, and I'm not going to let the world put it out. But the thinking I see, and this is just my perception, I see a lot lately, and by lately the last three to five years in this thing called church, there is a lot of inwardness of God and His Spirit, that His Spirit is more for us personally. And I'm not opposed to that. I'm going to teach something tonight that I pray maybe opens, as I said, opens your mind to think a little differently about the Holy Spirit than maybe the perception of what's been put out there. And to, especially since we claim to be Pentecostal and we claim that we're filled with the Spirit, what does that really mean? So let's at least start with Jesus, that if you follow Him, whatever He is, you are. And that's His assumption. Whatever I am, you will be. The moment you come to me, it's why He'll call you a new creation because you couldn't come to Him an old Adam and meet Him. You would have to be a new Adam, a new creation. You, you, so whatever you were when you met Him, you become all that He is. Now in, in that, it wasn't just so you could uh, join a church and give your money. The moment you become a new creation, you were a visible, in his thinking, a visible manifestation of his reality. And that, I think, is where we're missing the mark, and I'll try to move that mark so we can get on that page tonight. Here's my thought, a little different than last week. If I was defining revival based on tonight, I would say it's the display of resurrection reality within the followers of Jesus, so that others may know He's God. So if we talk revival, what we're saying is that your life awakens. Your life becomes the display of the real Jesus. Uh, we, I don't think we have a problem believing that. Like we say, have you ever accepted Jesus in your heart? Though that's really, I don't even know that New Testament of a thing. His Spirit comes to live with us, and the Bible will say this, that it is not me, this is Galatians 2, 20, it's not me that's living, but it's Christ that lives in me, but the life that I am living, I have to live that by faith. So that Paul himself intimates that Christianity is not just a head knowledge of believing in Jesus, Christianity is not just a heart knowledge that I believe in Him so He's my Savior. Christianity is the Spirit of Christ indwelling a human 
so that the work of Christ can continue on earth to meet the people that are still dead. It's why he will say, greater works will you do than I did. And, and it's not that that would be, Mark's going to go raise dead people and walk on water. Those things could happen, but the reality is you'll do greater works because the Spirit of Jesus will be multiplied times a hundred. And when Jesus was on the earth, He could only be in one place at one time. He was not omnipresent. If He was in Bethlehem, that's where His power was. If He was in Jerusalem, His power was there. If He was walking on the road and they touched Him, there was His power. And, and even the gospel says His power was present to heal when He was in a room. But when He says, you all will do greater works than me, the intimation is, is that His power will be over the entire world 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, everywhere because He's in you. And so the thinking of Christianity is rather different than how we perceive it because the thinking of Christianity has always been to move us into the world so that deadness may know life, so that darkness can find life. And yet 2,000 years removed, Christianity can become much more of a selfish religion where I just I have Jesus to fix my marriage, to heal my elbow, to fix my car, to help my bank account, and to give me a new job. And I lose the sight that there is an expectation that I, I am on display. Now, wherever we go, this is a strange thought, but I think true. Wherever we go, the spirit world takes note of the spirit that's within us. So that other people may not see that, but in the spirit world, when we walk in the room, uh, I know Paul, I know Jesus, but who are you? So the spirit world understands the kind of people we are. The spirit world understands the mission. So the goal of the spirit world, uh, uh, opposed to Jesus, would be to keep all of us gathered in a room praying for revival, but never be on public display for it to happen. So that it's easier to come in here and go, let's just pray. Let's pray. Because the reality is that's a lot easier than walking out the door and going to work tomorrow and go, no, you are the display of revival. Do you carry that with you? When people look at you, do they think you're different? The way you hold yourself and carry yourself, the way you respond to crisis, the way you think about the world, how you handle anxiety and pressure and how your life reflects something bigger than the world we live in. And that was to be something that was true. So here is the thought. It's on your page. I've left it blank again for on purpose so that as we write it every week, we can get it in our heart. But the thinking is that the church is that placement of God under His wisdom with a new government, new expectations, new purposes, and new results. And the church is a kingdom, it's a family, it's a freedom, and it's a father. And we get born again and we come into that. Now, the moment I come into that, I, I am baptized into the church. I find me a local church. I plug in somewhere. Hopefully, that local church is doing the kingdom and I'm growing. But this is not the end result, as we've said a few weeks ago. 
So let's jump into it tonight because what I want to talk about is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and what we think about that and are we willing to think a little differently to what God is wanting out of us. My belief is in growing up in it. I think there is a a mistaken identity of the baptism because oftentimes the baptism of the Spirit is given to us as as somebody teaches us that this is life-changing for you. Your marriage will be better. You speak in tongues. You'll get baptized in power. The Bible will come alive. And I'm not saying none of that's true. I've been around long enough to see that when people truly are baptized with power... But what I have a difficult time finding in the Bible is that the baptism of the Spirit, specifically Acts 2, doesn't seem to be a baptism that was to be a personal, uh, how would I put it, a personal growth level for you. The baptism of the Spirit was something that would happen in you that would be for something external. So when we think baptism of the Spirit, it wasn't that Jesus was trying to make us better Christians or make our Bible become alive or make us be a denomination called Pentecostals and make us say, did you get your prayer language? I need to hear the prayer language. Give me the prayer language because there's a lot of people that can have the prayer language and miss the purpose was not the prayer language. The purpose of the baptism was not to give you a prayer language. The purpose of the baptism was to move you into a display of being a witness. And and so the the baptism that comes with that, I'll talk about it tonight, but I will say this because I won't go there tonight. I believe the baptism of the Spirit in the book of Acts, as we Pentecostals would say, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, was not for your personal devotion. It was for a specific thing I'll teach tonight. I believe the prayer language of what we would call speaking in tongues, which is day of Pentecost, is distinctly different than praying in the Spirit. Day of Pentecost was something that was distinctly different than Mark's prayer language, we would call it, in the spirit of me in my closet. Is totally different from what happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, day of Pentecost, my thinking from my study, is an outworking of power to thrust you into a public display of the reality of resurrection. And the prayer language, we would say, you know, praying in the Spirit, is because the Spirit lives in me, And He wants to talk to the Father through me. Now, I believe that's possible. If we believe as a Christian that Jesus indwells in us through His Spirit, then we would be foolish to think His Spirit dwells in me and never wants to say a thing. He's a talking God, right? He's a speaking God. So I'm going to distinguish between the baptism of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, day of Pentecost, book of Acts, with, um, with the thought of praying in the Spirit because the Spirit lives within me. Well, that's, that's hang on, I'm sorry. That's my phone. I don't know how it just is. 
I have I have no idea how my phone just decided to start going into a podcast, but we'll we'll figure that out. We'll edit that. So there's the edit point. So the, the likelihood of what I want to go is I want to awaken you to two totally different things, but from the same being called God's Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit was a thrusting into the public sphere as a demonstration of the reality of resurrection. And praying in the Spirit is my intimacy of communion with God via my mind in natural praying and the Spirit speaking through me to the Father praying for me. And it can come through a language that we would call speaking in tongues, but I believe one is literal languages and the other is the language of the Spirit. So that one would be languages like French, Spanish, German, Chinese. That's day of Pentecost. But what we do find, at least I believe, is then there's praying in the Spirit and it may be a literal language, but it's the language of the Spirit using my tongue to express His words that are known to the Father and the Spirit. And because of that communication, which bypasses my brain, the perfect will of God can be done. No, I, I believe, I'm not going to teach that tonight, but those, that's how I work this out to try to understand praying in the Spirit versus day of Pentecost, speaking in tongues. Let's jump into it and see what's going to happen. Verse 8 now of Acts 1. Now here's the challenge. If we go through this experience on the day of Pentecost called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, everywhere in the New Testament that the baptism of the Spirit is mentioned, it is always inside the context of the resurrection. Uh, I cannot find anywhere that it's not in context of a resurrected Jesus. So the baptism of the Spirit day of Pentecost is directly related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't, I'll go through it tonight, but I want to establish that thinking. Everywhere in the New Testament book of Acts that the baptism of the Spirit has done what we would say in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, every time we see the manifestation of it, there is the outward preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now here's the interesting thought to that. Have you ever wondered why the baptism of the Holy Spirit just ticks so many people off? We can agree on everything. We kind of agree on baptism. Maybe not Bible versions, but a Bible. We can agree on Sunday. We can agree on a lot of things, but if you really want to upset a room, just talk about the baptism of the Spirit and you will split it down the middle. It's nothing but the devil. It's passed away. It's not for today. It's over. And the other side of the room is, you need it. And it is just as black and white as that. And, and you can really upset a room with where do you fall. Now the reason I think that is is because maybe this side of the room has made it about a personal experience of speaking in tongues, and it seems kind of strange, and this side of the room sees no need for it. 
but the reality of both sides of the room, the baptism of the Spirit was to confirm the resurrection of Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father. So the moment on the day of Pentecost, and they start speaking a language in their thinking, in their thinking, that was proof that Jesus Christ that died and rose and ascended was now affirmed at the Father's right hand because they connected it to this is the gift He said He would give us after He ascended. So the baptism of the Spirit for them wasn't they became Pentecostals. They weren't clapping going, Woo, you got it. Woo, you got it. They didn't even know what it was. But the moment they spoke in their mind, Jesus Christ is really alive still. And it just ignited a fire in them. Because it was much more than a prayer language. This was Jesus at the right hand of the Father going, Boys, it's finished. Here's that gift I promised you. And He poured it out. Now everywhere the pour out happens, you will find it connected to resurrection. Let's look at Acts 1.8. Jesus says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Now Jesus, before we even can define the baptism of the Spirit, before anybody's ever had time to write a book about it, anybody ever said, Ooh, did you get what happened in that upper room? Jesus defined it for us before we could mess it up. And He said, what's going to happen called the baptism of the Spirit will be a power, but the power that's going to come is to thrust you into a place to where you witness everywhere about Me. It was a direct connection to His resurrection. And then He says this, Oh, by the way, it's going to be so powerful, it's going to touch the whole world. And so what we find is this. We find that the baptism of the Spirit was to take you and I out of having this personal family, personal father, personal kingdom, and a personal freedom we, we're all in an upper room having this is because at this point in the upper room, Jesus has already ascended. The price has already been paid. Many people believe they were already born again because they believed on His resurrection. But the moment He dumps out the Spirit into those people in that room, what happens is they are thrust out into the world so that the world may see kingdom, freedom, father, and family displayed in their life that would cause them to come back into the church to find the life. The light would be shoved into the darkness, the darkness would see the light, and the light would show them the way back to this new thing. That was the purpose of the baptism of the Spirit. The Heavenly Father had to have a way on the day of Pentecost to prick everybody's ear that something is happening that's totally different than you've ever seen. And I've made jokes before that you know speaking in tongues could not have been a human idea. 
It's the dumbest thing ever. The way I'm going to display my resurrection is a bunch of humans talking in languages they don't know. If I had been in that committee, I would have raised my hand and said, I don't think that's going to go well. We need something else. I think when they're baptized in the Spirit, you should let them all fly. That would be cool. You just get baptized and you can just fly around because everybody's like, they're baptized. And God's like, no, no, not, not, not going to let people fly. I'm going to let them talk in languages they don't know. Okay, I know we shouldn't come against you, Lord, but I have an idea. Why don't, when they get baptized, we just let their muscles grow and they get really big like the giants, like the Nephilim, like 10 feet tall. And just, I mean, that was how... You can imagine if it was left to us, nobody in the room, at least I would think, would have said, well, the way we're going to know that Gene is filled with the Spirit is he's going to speak Chinese. He won't have a clue what he's saying. June's going to speak Japanese. Carmelo, uh, Carmelo, right, we'll, just, we'll just give him Arabic. We'll, we'll, give, we'll give Arlen Aramaic. We'll, we'll, give, uh, we'll, give, uh, we'll give Garth Greece. And all of us just start talking in a language we've never heard. But God's wisdom was, what's going to happen is, as you do that, you're going to speak a language you don't know, but the people hearing will know it. So what I need you to do, Mark, is shut your mind off a minute and allow me to use you so that I can capture the heart of people through your life. And that's a difficult thing to do, to say, God, whatever you want to do to capture people, use me. And so God says, really, okay, here we go. And He pours out His Spirit. And the word witness means this. It means martyrs. Uh, I'm just going to probably hang here tonight and talk about it next week in depth. But when we hear the word witness, three things will come to mind. And, and you have to... Here's that perception I'm, I'm talking about. Your perception of witness is you're standing at the mall going, would you like a track? Do you know about Jesus? But when Jesus said witness, it carried a, a lot of opportunity for what it meant. Historically, a witness was somebody that gave proof because of their experiences. They had been there. They had been in the room with Him. It would be like, hey, do you have any historical proof of the atomic bomb, the hydrogen bomb? And Gene could say, yes, I was at the Bikini Atoll in 1954 when they did the first hydrogen bomb test. Gene Evans has historical proof by experience that the hydrogen bomb test by the Navy in 1954 was legit. So witness is that you would, you would have a proof by experience. So when Jesus says... Your life will be a witness. It would literally think that how would my life testify to a 2,000-year-old historical figure? Now the way a 2,000-year-old figure comes alive is he's still alive in us today. So that if I want to make a historical Jesus real to 2023, then I needed to have had an experience with the historical Jesus who's now alive at the right hand of the Father and who's baptized me with His Spirit and I have therefore had this experience to know His reality. The second one is ethical. You're to be an ethical witness. 
In other words, your life is to be the example that you really are different. It's why most people will say, I don't like Christianity, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, what they mean by that is we no longer live the life of a witness. Because a witness was to have ethical proof. Your life is different. You, don't, you used to cuss, you don't anymore. You used to get drunk, you don't anymore. You used to be addicted, you're not anymore. That was the expectation of Jesus when He said, you'll receive power to be a witness. You'll receive power that will be so powerful, it will revolutionize your life, and you will, by very example, be able to say, it was the resurrected Jesus that did this. And we will see that play out in the gospel in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 3. I have nothing to give you. However, in the name of Jesus, historical, resurrected on the third day about uh, you know 50 days ago, in the name of Jesus, who also is still alive, seated at the right hand of the Father and has baptized me with power. I don't have anything, but let me tell you what I do have. In His name, get up and walk. And it just totally flipped the town upside down. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to talk about all of these in depth. And then the final is legal proof. When you say witness, we don't mean street, we mean courtroom. Your life was to be, if, if Jesus was on trial, they could call you to the courtroom to testify for Him. That's what it means legally is that you know Him so well that if you were called on the carpet into the spirit realm, you could testify of His reality. And so when you think witness, we have to not just think wearing a t-shirt that says, do you know Jesus? It plays itself out that I've had an experience with a 2,000-year-old Jesus that's still alive. My life has been so touched by that that I'm a living example to everybody that works with me and knows me that there's something different about me. And oh yeah, if I'm ever called on the carpet to come to this place of this proof of my testimony, well then I just want you to know that I, I could give an example and a reality that He is Jesus and could prove it. I could prove it scripturally and I could prove it with my life. And all of this matters that they've been baptized in the Spirit. I'm going to ask Michael to come on up and let's get ready. We're going to pray this out. Here's the thought. The witness that Jesus is talking about is all about an external proving of resurrection. So when we say the Lord wants to bring revival and God desires to bring revival, then what we're saying is, is that God wants my life to prove His resurrection. Let's show you how powerful this is. In Acts chapter 1, we have to deal with the issue of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot committed uh, suicide, and they're short one guy. So before the day of Pentecost, they have to fix something. They have to get the right number of people in line. They have to get back to the number 12. So they come in Acts 1.21 and say, Now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among men who were with us the entire time and who were traveling with the Lord Jesus. Now the moment they say the entire time, we, you never hear about these two fellows they're going to pick, which is interesting in itself, that you could follow Jesus for three years and never even make the Bible. That would almost just irritate me. Like, I've been there and nobody wrote about me? You're kidding. I'm just overlooked all the time. Nobody catches my gifts and anointings, right? So 
but this is what they said. We can't just take somebody. They have to have been with us the entire time. Why? Because the witness of Acts 1.8 was we have to have historical proof. So we need somebody that's been here the whole time. They need to have seen every miracle. They need to have been with us on the boat. They need to, they need to know everything about Jesus. And the entire time we were traveling, so that tells me that not just the 12 that we get invited into, but there was a bunch of people that stuck it out with Jesus the whole time. And, and I would just like to say this, it's not my message, but this may help some of us, that ought to tell you that ego really doesn't matter to God's kingdom. You being famous does not matter to God at all. He just needs you to work and do whatever He tells you to do. Some become famous and some we don't even remember their name. So from the time he was baptized by John, so he sets the parameters. They've got to be there at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist until the time of his transfiguration back up in his, I mean, his ascension. Uh, he's got to be there the whole time. So this, whoever, the two guys are going to choose, pretty faithful fellows. Whoever is chosen will join us, and what are they going to join him as? A witness of resurrection. We can't even get you on the team unless you've witnessed His resurrection. That's how important it is. Now, think about this for a minute. And this is what captures my heart to really understand the baptism, and we'll dig it out deep next week. If this was so important at the beginning of the resurrection, at the beginning of the church, I have to pick somebody that's been there, that has seen it, and then I'm going to baptize them with power then do you understand, would it be any different 2,000 years from now? And so what happens today is we don't really bring people in the church that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus because we weren't there to witness it. We're 2,000 years removed. So it's easy just to say, well, I'm not a witness of His resurrection, but I do believe in it. That was 2,000 years ago. I wasn't there so the way Jesus combats, I wasn't there, is He said, I will pour out my Spirit on everybody. So that even though Mark Evans wasn't there, the moment I step in to His calling, and He calls me to believe, and I say, yes, Lord, I believe, fill me with Your power, and He pours that Spirit out upon me, suddenly, 2,000 years of history becomes a present moment reality and I realize He's alive, and now I become just as convinced of His resurrection as if I had been there. And I wasn't there, but I know He was raised from the dead. How could you know that? Because He has filled me with His Spirit, and His Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God so that I'm willing to die for it, but I wasn't there. I'm willing to have my head chopped off, but I didn't see it. And the way I see it was, I was baptized with power. Paul wasn't there on the resurrection, but God captured him and filled him with His Spirit, and his eyes were opened up, and he wrote most of the New Testament. So what Jesus is wanting out of this thing called revival, and again, I'll teach it next week, we'll continue is that Jesus wants you and I to be a public display of His reality. And man, I'll tell you one thing for sure, we humans can mess that up. Our personalities, our hurts, our flesh, 
our distractions so that this is my thinking. I, I truly believe what has happened to the church is we've become victims of the world and Jesus becomes the answer to our victimhood. My sickness, he's the doctor. My brokenness, he's the banker. My problems, he's the counselor. But I don't carry power of resurrection with me. And so most of my prayers are very introverted. I need Jesus to dwell in me, fix me, help me, sustain me, help me sleep at night, help me. I'm not opposed to any of that. That's, that's living with the Spirit. But what I want you to understand, if you're going to use the term revival, we're not talking about living with the Spirit. We're talking about being powered by the Spirit to be in the darkness of the world as an example of His resurrection. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll parse it out in depth next week. Now, with this thought, bow your heads. I want to ask you to think of something. I want you to think of your life. I don't know all of your experiences. But I know if you've walked with Him, followed Him. The times that Mark Evans has seen his power displayed in the greatest of ways, personally, I'm answering for myself. I'll let you answer for yourself. Is when I have gotten out of myself and I have allowed Him to use me for other people. And it's strange that when my money in my pocket is used for other people, I have a revival in my finances. And when my prayers are directed toward the needs of others, it's strange, but my needs are suddenly met. And I have found that when I pray over the diseases and sicknesses of others, I myself suddenly find, well, like I healed. I don't even know what happened. Because what's happening is, as we step out and become healing, and as we become a seed, and as we become light, and as we become the power that other people need, we reap what we sow. So if we give power, we receive power back. And a lot of times what we're praying for is I want, I want that living water in me rather than he said in John 7, it will be a river flowing out of you. And all I'm saying is I'm not opposed to the water within. I'm trying to say revival is the water that's coming out. It is the river that comes out of us. And I would love you to test it. That's the only way I would know, is you would have to test it. Is there something in your life you're desperate for? What would happen if the next month, the next, the next four weeks, you simply said of that thing, God, I give it to you. I cast this care over on you. And I ask now that you fill me with your power. And you use me into a dark world. And you may be saying, well, you don't know. I'm in a dark hole right now myself. Every bit of faith I have is for me. I can barely see light at the end of the tunnel myself. How could you expect me to do that? Because of His power. 
How could you expect me to use? Oh, I don't who. I don't know who this. I felt in my heart a thought go through my mind. I don't have enough faith. I'm barely alive myself in my own mind. My thoughts, you, you don't know my situation. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. And all the weight that burdens you. It's like the weight is so heavy. It's hard to even let your mind go, use me. Every prayer, every ounce of prayer I have is just putting food on the table, just paying bills, just keeping my marriage, keeping my sanity, keeping my health. Oh, but what if tonight while you worship, you dare pray, Father, pour out your spirit upon me that your sons and your daughters may prophesy, dream dreams, have visions. Some of you need a fresh baptism of His power because you don't prophesy, you're critical. You don't speak of your prophetic future, you look at the reality in front of you. You don't call what could be You just acknowledge what is and you get defeated and discouraged. You don't prophesy to the future. You don't speak to the mountain. You don't say to the hills. Some of you need to be freshly baptized and get your dream back. You say dream, yeah, you know, in the dream world, impossible things can happen when you dream. You can fly in your dreams. You you kind of lose all inhibitions in your dreams. You're... Some of you need to lose some inhibitions and some hurts and some disappointments and some impossibilities. And you need to start believing all things are possible. All things are possible. Woo! All things are possible. Oh, would you dream again that all things are possible? Yeah, it might be hurting right now, but all things are possible. Well, I've already prayed a thousand times. No, all things are possible. All things are possible. I don't know who that's for too, but I just feel this in my spirit. Oh, it's just bubbling like a, like a fire of water. The Lord wants to stir you for His power. He wants to baptize you fresh. He wants to pour the Spirit out on sons and daughters. And then He says that you may have vision. You will have visions. Have you lost sight? Are you just living it is what it is? Have you lost the vision of the future? You've been disappointed. You've been disillusioned. You're hurt. Life's not going the way you thought it would. You've gone through a divorce. You've gone through churches. You've had friends hurt you. You just kind of lost vision. Oh, I did it once, but it failed. I know you lost vision. I tried that once, but yeah, I know you quit dreaming. You quit praying in the Spirit. It's all in your head now. It's just head prayers. It's whatever you can fathom because you just can't open your mouth and go, Oh God, let your Spirit talk. Let your Spirit talk. 
And then the spirit within you just and he just begins to talk to the Father. And as the spirit uses your mouth to talk to the Father, suddenly your faith becomes hypercharged and you suddenly feel like you could conquer the world because Jesus' power is resonating through your bones and your organs and your life and your mind. And Oh man, that's what we need in our generation is a fresh outpouring of power.